Well, greetings. Welcome to The Dividing Line on a uh, cool and windy uh, day here in Phoenix. It's the high today. is only going to be in the low 60s. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I remember many a Christmas of uh, the mid-70s. So, you know, I'm sitting here looking at this camera, and I'm realizing it's uh, it's it's not flat. It's, it's tilted over this direction. I, I don't know why, but that's new. No. No, it's new. It's been bumped, probably the legs or something. I, I am, uh, yeah. I'm looking right at it. He's over there someplace, and see, this is this is what I deal with regularly, okay, all the time. Anyway, <clears throat> remember, you smashed your head on the <laughs> again on the front of the RV. <laughs> Twice. First time you went down. I mean, the first time you were you were on the ground. Okay, you you, and I've pulled this thing twenty thousand miles. I've hooked it up, unhooked it. I've never done that. And he just gets around it and smashes his head against the front of the RV. So I'm not sure that he's really in a position to judge what's level and what's not right now. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <clears throat> Anyways, so it's a, it's a cool, breezy day here. We might have some more rain coming in, um, uh, and that, that's great. I think that's wonderful. I'm looking forward to I told a friend in St. Charles uh, that I would really appreciate because he said they've got beautiful weather right there, and I said I, I'd appreciate if you get rid of that <laughs> before I get there because my weekend in St. Charles each year is my getting into the Christmas spirit um, Time and so if it's like here, uh, that's not gonna that's not gonna help much. You know, a warm breeze in the palm trees does not do much to get you in the Christmas spirit. Though, look at this look at this sweater I've got on. I mean, there you go. Uh, yes, sir. So, uh, will you be um, doing Christmas lights in the RV? Yes. Okay. I already already have one string, and I ordered the little tree for it uh, today. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I would have been surprised if you didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, no, I. You know, I've, last, I'm I'm thinking ahead. Last year got everything got scuttled, so this is your chance to really do it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I got some little LED lights uh, last month. I haven't p- pulled them out yet because I didn't get them until I get back. And then I got the little little LED thing, and I'll just tape it down. <laughs> just tape it to the top, and that way it doesn't fly all over the place when. Yeah, super glue for everything. Um, hey, gorilla, gorilla tape, man. Uh, gorilla glue, gorilla tape. It's all, it's all good. Uh, it keeps things where they're supposed to be when you're bouncing around in an RV. So, yeah. So that will be the first weekend, December. We're going to be doing the Doctrine of the Trinity, and this year uh, we're going to be talking about the current controversies. Um, you know, I was going to do this. Sorry, uh, I'm still signing these. There are people who still. Uh, have the 1998 edition uh, of these of these things, and um, I uh, I want to, you know, someday I'm going to pull some of the some of the quotes out of here just to go. Yeah, see, you know, it's interesting. Uh, so many people thought this was so great for so long, and now, huh? I guess you didn't notice these things. So we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, how do we know the Doctrine of the Trinity? Is it something that developed over time? Um, that, that is the majority view 
in, I guess what we would call broadly Christendom. Um, but that's certainly never been my position, and I can't see how it could ever be the position of anyone who would hold to sola scriptura. Um, those are some of the questions we'll be uh, we'll be looking at. We will be looking at the doctrine itself, obviously, as it is revealed to us in Scripture. And uh, I have found over coming up on four decades of uh, of ministry now. Next year will be our fortieth anniversary for Alpha and Omega Ministries. Looking forward to that. Um, if we remember it, <laughs> when you when you got Rich and I in charge of remembering these things, that you know we may realize it the week after and go, oh man. Um, but uh, I've realized over forty years of ministry that. The people who are the most deeply blessed and rooted in truth are those who are rooted in Scripture. Um, Not in some dedication to a particular tradition, denomination, uh, anything like that, but are rooted in Scripture itself. And then can see, you know, if, if in their confessional tradition they see Biblical truth, great, fine, but there's a there's only one direction to go here. It's not it doesn't go both go both ways. Can't go both ways. Not and leave scripture in position of ultimate authority. While making those last comments, I just realized that I did not queue up and I apologize and did not in fact get a chance to even work through. Again, uh Rich and I have been busy the past couple of days, uh, uh, not really doing anything on social media, but um, getting our, our fingers and hands dirty and, um, you know, using a half inch, uh, you know, just working on stuff, uh, nuts and bolts. And, and I was putting the tonneau cover on the, on the truck and that kind of stuff. And so... When doing that, I generally don't have a phone nearby to be monitoring social media or anything like that. It's actually been sort of sort of nice, to be honest with you. Anyway, I um, uh, so I almost hesitate to respond to it, but uh, at the end of the last program, everybody was saying you need to look at this, and I I, I wanted to. Um, Ad Robles, I guess, posted something because I had responded to a Twitter thread. Um, I think Tuesday morning, as I recall, about Christian nationalism and mere Christendom and these issues. Okay. And obviously, I've listened a lot to what uh, Doug Wilson has said about mere Christendom, uh, which is a little bit different than mere Christianity. Um, I have criticized the mere Christianity concept for a long time. But again, it's all a matter of definitions. What is mere Christianity? We're not talking about C.S. Lewis specifically, though he's not irrelevant. Um, I have been a strong critic of the kind of taking the position where you minimize the Christian faith. You get it as small as you possibly can. How, how do you do that? You limit the definitional 
aspects of the faith down to um, the Trinity and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to create as large a group that can agree mainly. I mean, even, even when you think about that, think about when you talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, in the mere Christendom model, those are totally historical statements. You can't ask the question, why? <laughs> why did Jesus have to be truly man and truly God? Um, could Eutychianism have worked? Could Nestorianism have worked? Apollinarianism, so on and so forth. No, you can't. All that stuff is out there someplace. Um, the idea is that you want to create the biggest, for most people, political block that you can. Um, and hence, the gospel is right out. Because you're not going to get a whole lot of agreement on the whys and wherefores of the gospel. And so the whole idea being we we can create this fictional big blob of people, but there's really nothing to hold them together. There's, there's, they're not pulling the same direction. They're not going toward the same goals, all because you leave the gospel out. And so I have criticized that for a long, long time. And I, I remember back in the uh, late 90s when the uh, ECT stuff happened. Uh, I wasn't the only one criticizing that stuff back then. Um, there were a, a bunch of folks that joined together to say, yeah, this isn't, this isn't good. And um, so Doug uses the term mere Christendom. Now, what he's, is he talking about? He's talking about seeking to, when, when, you, when you talk about, well, right now, a phrase I hadn't heard repeated over and over and over again, Christian nationalism. We talked about that a couple days ago and a couple of programs ago. And I, I said at the time, I said, again, what's that? How do you, how do you define it? Okay, there's books that's come out. Great, haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but book, come, book comes out. And when I hear Christian nationalism, I just go, you mean blesses a nation whose God is Yahweh? Uh, you mean uh, sin is a, is a rebuke to any people? Is that are, are we talking about the the command to disciple the nations and to proclaim Christ's lordship far and wide and to say that the standard of judgment, Acts 17.31, is going to come from Christ in obedience to his ways and his purposes? Is that what Christian nationalism is? Is, is that saying to a nation that if you want the fullness of God's blessing, if you want your citizens to experience the fullness of happiness and joy, then they need to live the way their creator intended them to live. And who is their creator? Christ. Right? So, Jesus is the maker of all things, obey Jesus' commands, and your people will be happy and your nation will be blessed. Is that Christian nationalism? Well, I would assume 
in a secular world, that's Christian nationalism, because you're literally saying to the nations that Christ is Lord, and he's the maker of all things, and therefore you cannot ignore him, and you cannot just simply put him in the category of one religious leader amongst all religious leaders, because there's an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. Everybody else is, there's still bones in them there, tombs. (laughs) And so this is sort of a basic idea that, okay, most of my adult life I had never really been challenged to think about. Again, myth of neutrality, church, state, wall. um, They're going to be neutral toward us. We're going to be neutral toward them. And of course it was silly. Of course it was silly. Um, But we didn't even think about it because there was, in essence, a functional neutrality going on. At least we didn't figure that the state was going to be coming after us. We, We know now that was pretty naive and dumb, but that's where we were. So is that Christian nationalism? Is is that just simply uh, taking seriously the, the call to uh, call individual men, women, boys and girls, and those are the only options out there, um, to faith in Christ, to repent and believe, and to bow the knee to his lordship. See, that's where the certain elements of evangelicalism immediately jump ship because they don't believe that's part of what repentance and saving faith is anyway. Uh, is it that and a recognition that, especially today, where we have so many amazing issues facing us, um, that the answers to all those questions will be found only in Christ and in his truth? Um, Or is there something more to it than that? Because I'm well aware of the fact that there is, there, there are very complicated questions. When you say we want to actuate Christ's law in a society, um, my understanding, when I, for example, a couple of years ago, read The Mission of God by Dr. Joe Boot, preached at Paula G. last Sunday, in fact. Um, when I read his discussion of what he called Christian libertarianism, and what it would look like to see a post-millennial uh, concept taking shape. What was central to all of that was you. this can't be forced outside of the changing of hearts and minds. In other words, until there's a majority of people who have truly been regenerated, um, the idea of making application of law just isn't going to function. You say to the... you you present to the people the benefits of obedience to God, but if the majority of people are still in rebellion against God, what's that going to do? You, you have to have, there has to be a major work of the Spirit of God in bringing about true regeneration in a very large portion 
of the population before you can even start talking about these things. And I guess what it was, what happened was there was that graphic where you have all these big muscular arms coming together. And I forget what they all were, but uh, it included Roman Catholicism. I think it said crazy charismatics or something. Wacko Pentecostals. I forget what it was, but anyway. um, And I, I made a comment that, that basically was like, Oh, I remember it was the comment that I've made on the program over and over again. And that is as we are pressed into a smaller and smaller cultural neighborhood, we will be brought together. And this would certainly be the case. Like if we all end up starting, starting getting put in the gulags together, uh, where there's going to be a very strong reason to start minimizing the specifics of the gospel to try to create as broad a consensus as you possibly can. And that's always the first casualty. That's always the first casualty. Because the gospel, if you really understand it biblically, is so utterly destructive of human pride and yet, so many versions of that gospel um, are, how do I put it, designed to maintain man's free will and pride and so on and so forth. And so, the gospel gets shoved off to the side. We're never going to agree on this, so we've got to put it out so that we can get all these big muscular arms together. And unless the gospel is in there to define, it's not going to be Christian nationalism. You can call it religious nationalism, you can call it what you want, but it's not Christian. Because it doesn't have the gospel that changes hearts and minds. And hence, will crash and burn spectacularly. And church history shows this. You, 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 we, we've tried it in the past, but we, again, lost the gospel. And you ended up with a massive nominal claim to being Christian. And yeah, there were... There were great benefits to be obtained from obedience to at least parts of God's law, but without a changed heart, it, it can't be heartfelt obedience, right? And it'll rot from the inside. And it did rot from the inside. And so my... Uh, positive hope for the future is completely based upon a massive outpouring of the Spirit of God. Because I, the nations will be desirous of the law of God. They will, they, they will desire true and proper things. What's the only way that can happen? Is if there has been a tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God in bringing about true Conversion, regeneration, not 
mere baptism, where historically, where, where you got infant baptism to the max, you had gospel to the minimum. And what did that produce? If, if we can't, if, if that's mere Christendom, that's not going to cut it. Unless there is true dedication to the things of God, to the gospel itself, you're not going to have anything called Christendom. So I apologize to A.D. Rebelis that I didn't, I downloaded it. Um, but as I said, sitting in the back of my truck, sometimes getting on my knees, uh, attempting to get those those clips to right spot to hold the rails in place so you can put the tonneau cover on. That's not the best time, place to be um, listening to videos. I, I mean, I have done things similar to that. I just didn't bring stuff along to listen to and, and stuff like that. So um, I apologize if I have completely missed uh, the the context of, of everything there. Um, but, Oh, okay. I pulled that down. Um, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, No, that's not what I wanted. I'm also looking for, huh? I don't see it in my, in my Dropbox. Um, yeah, I wanted to play, uh, something else here in a second, but I'll try to multitask here. It's probably going to fail spectacularly. No, it didn't. (laughs) Scrolled up to it immediately. Um, maybe I'm not even addressing the issues. Maybe that wasn't what was being discussed. Maybe why I made the comment wasn't understood. But that's what I was talking about, is that apart from... See, I would see as a sign of the outpouring of the Spirit of God... Well, they couldn't hear that, but uh, none of these, these... Have you noticed these microphones just do not pick up that kind of... It's thundering outside. So um, I'm watching the video, and I see a sign going back and forth out there, and we, we could... And I, I see it on the on the radar, too. We've got some... Uh, we've got... Uh, there's some... Uh, there's some orange in that one, so we, we may get some, some good rain here in a second. Anyway... Um, <laughs> It would, it would be a sign to me of that outpouring of the Spirit in bringing the true gospel to bear that we didn't have all those strong arms, but that there was an um, abandonment of so much of the errors that are represented by those quote-unquote strong arms. And so, again... Uh, Christendom without Christ is dumb. <laughs> Boom, Christendom. Yeah. Anyway. Um, it 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 just it doesn't work. And uh, as I said, I'm watching a guy trying to get in. The wind's blowing his uh, umbrella all to pieces, and uh, it's 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 coming down real real good. Like I like I said, there's orange in in them there uh, in them there storms. So. That means it's it's coming down good. Um, so if we all of a sudden disappear, 
this used to be more the case here in Arizona. You know, that you know, as soon as the big thunderstorm hit, you could expect the lights to go out at any moment. It's not not quite as bad as it used to be. Um, but if we all of a sudden disappear, that's what it was, I can assure you. because uh, she's coming down pretty good out there right now. Anyway, so that's I will try to uh see if I've missed the point, uh, or if I've guessed correctly as to what the point was, but that's what I wanted to say about that. Okay. Um, what? What? Is so, somebody commenting? Uh, Twitch has de- determined that um, that we need to get uh, Doctrine of Life to develop a new t-shirt based on what you just said. Christendom without Christ is just dumb? It's dumb. Yeah. There you yeah, go. Well, new nice. t-shirt. <laughs> I'll stand by that. Um, I-, I don't know who would... Who would argue against that? At least, I hope so. I at least hope most people would not argue against that. But there you go. Sort of watching. It's it's one thing for it to be raining, raining really hard. If I start seeing hail, that's when I start getting a little, uh, little, a uh, little concerned. But so far, so you probably can't see any of this, can you? Oh yeah. Well, I've got the whole thing up here, um, and uh, it it do be raining uh, pretty pretty well. Anyway. Uh, thankfully, I did find this, and um, over the past couple of days, I saw a um, description, and I'm not sure if this is the nice short one. Um, wow. Again, I, I know you can't can't hear this, but... Oh, okay, here it is. Um, and I need to send you the sound here. Sorry about that. All right, I'm hooked up to that now. I guess about a year ago, uh, I haven't paid attention to Warren McGrew in a long time. Uh, Warren McGrew, young guy, well, younger guy, uh, the idol killer, you know, all the stuff that, um, you know, he was really going after uh, total depravity and original sin and stuff like that. And then he started playing around with open theism, but he didn't want to say it was open theism. He called it dynamic omniscience. And then he interviewed an open theist who said, no, that's open theism, <laughs> stuff like that. And, you know, we went back and forth for a while. And then, uh, you know, I, I do that stuff if it's educational. And then once it starts getting really repetitive, then we, we move on. And um, so I saw a video that was put up, and it's uh, uh, one minute and 43 seconds long. Um, So the guy that Warren McGrew has on his program is called Paul Vendretti. Never heard him. Never heard him. Tried to look him up. All I found were his own... Uh, websites. I didn't find any books, teaching, nothing. Um, so I have no idea where he's coming from or why he's on the program, for that matter. But the subject is penal substitutionary atonement. And it is not at all surprising to me that the direction in which uh, Warren McGrew has been going 
has continued on the path that I said it would be continuing uh, with this denial of penal substitutionary atonement. And again, if you are not aware, you know, most evangelicals just accept as a given that Christ died so as to provide penal substitutionary atonement, that the wrath of God for his broken law, the wrath of God the Father is fulfilled in the death of the Son, and this is what provides the foundation of peace, um, the ability to have an imputed righteousness, the need for an imputed righteousness is all associated with this doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. And most, again, most people just simply, this is the default. This is simply what they've heard. And so sometimes they're surprised to discover that there are other quote-unquote models. Now, I don't like the idea of models. Um, Using terminology of models makes it sound like we have this mass of biblical data and we have no idea what it means, but we're going to model it this way and model it that way. Well, given how horribly poor um, meteorological modeling has proven to be, or voting modeling has proven to be, um, I'm not sure how useful the, the term is. But what happens is we send folks off to Bible college and seminary, and uh, they they get taught by all these bright folks, and they get introduced to stuff that they they never heard of back home in in church uh, when they were teaching Sunday school or um, in the sermons or whatever else. And they find out there are other models. So the Christus Victor model. Christ as victorious over the powers of darkness. There's the the ransom to Satan model. uh, Where Christ pays a ransom to the enemy of our soul to free us from his control so that we can have peace with God. And as we've taught on this program over and over again, uh, no one can, no one, well, I was about to say, no one can blame us for not having talked about that. And then I realize how many lies are being told about me today. It's like, well, never mind that. Uh, somebody could. But no honest person uh, could accuse us of not having informed people for a long, long time of the fact that those of us who hold to something like penal substitution and atonement, we do so because of our view of Scripture, and that puts us in a small minority. And we have said over and over again that it took to the 4th century before a full-length tome treatment of the doctrine of the atonement appeared from Athanasius. And that means it was it was not the central focus of dispute and hence definition. That there were 
um, men who were important in church history, such as Irenaeus of Lyon, vitally important in fighting Gnosticism in the late 2nd century. Our primary source of information on Gnosticism until the discovery of the Nag Hammadi Library and other findings last century that gave us many of the original documents of the Gnostics. Um, And yet, he held to what's called the recapitulation theory. And again, most evangelicals have never, never even heard these terms before. The idea that Christ had to live through each age of man to redeem each age of man, which is why Irenaeus amazingly said that it was an apostolic tradition passed down from the apostles outside of Scripture that Jesus was more than 50 years old. It had to be so as to redeem old people. Now, nobody believes the apostles actually taught that today, but Irenaeus did. And so, uh, you, you've had all these different models, and then those models continue on, and you end up getting mixtures between those models. And you end up with the Anselm and Abelard and their discussions, you know, in, in the medieval period in regards to what the real nature of the atonement is. And the very fact that there's still this conversation going on um, shows how late in development what we have in reform circles really is. And that bothers a lot of people. Uh, People who want church history to be a mirror not mirror in the good sense of being able being able to show us what Christians are like down through the ages, but it just you want everybody in church history to look like you. So that that affirms that you're right and everybody else is wrong. Well, that's a fundamentalist idea, and it's a false idea. It's not. There's nobody that can honestly look back in history and find that everybody looks like them. It's just simply not not the case, and it wasn't God's intention anyways, to be perfectly honest with you. So, the reality is, all of these different models have elements of truth in them. So there is clearly an element of truth. There There are biblical texts and themes that refer to Christ as victor, as defeater of death. Yep. And there, there, there's even an element to the recapitulation concept where um, Christ has to truly be man and he has to truly suffer and he has to truly experience temptation and, and, and stuff like that. So there's an element of truth to that. But it's when people say, well, it's only this. And when, you, when it comes to penal substitutionary atonement, there was a scholar last century, C.H. Dodd, I think, Pretty sure it was C.H. Dodd. Um, I haven't read Dodd in a long time, but I think it was C.H. Dodd, who was so averse to the concept of God having wrath, just did not believe that it was helpful or useful at all to speak of God having wrath. Um, that that's why he 
preferred the term expiation to the term propitiation because expiation does not make reference to the wrath of God. Propitiation does. To propitiate is obviously to turn away wrath. Expiation doesn't involve that. And so he preferred that terminology. And a lot of people followed him in that. There is in PSA, Penal Substitutionary Atonement, an inevitably offensive element of a recognition of God's wrath and holiness. You can't, you can't factor that out. You can't soften it. You can't get rid of it. And so, especially looking at modern Christianity trying to fit in and get along with a more and more secular, naturalistic, anti-biblical uh, society, you can see where, the, where, the, where that would be pushing, where that would be going. And so you can see why people would reject PSA for those reasons. So there is a history behind all this, and I think it is important for people to know where all this came from and what those conversations were. And um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sitting there going, I'm not going to sit there and say uh, you're going to become an atheist if you don't uh, know as much about church history as if you had read, uh, you know, Origin of Christian Doctrines by Burkhoff or something like that. Um, but it's, it's helpful if you want to know where your terminology came from and why there is such a strong emphasis upon these things in, in your understanding of Scripture. Um, takes, us, takes us back, no matter how hard we try to avoid it, to what we all remember took place with dear, blessed Brother Hunt uh, all those years ago now when on KPXQ Radio here in Phoenix when he gave me a completely traditionalistic interpretation of John 6 that had nothing to do with the text. I said, Dave, that's just your tradition speaking. And he said to me, James, I have no traditions. And we all have traditions. All of us have traditions. And the only way to be able to honestly say that you are saying that when you present God's truth, that you are able to say, thus saith the Lord, is if you do the proper exegesis and hermeneutics so as to detect your traditions. And of course, if you embrace the idea that you can't, in other words, that those traditions actually have to function above Scripture. There's no reason for you to believe in Sola Scriptura any longer, because you, you don't believe in it. Your traditions are your ultimate authority, and you're, you're stuck with that, whether you recognize it or not. So anyway, uh, all of that to get us back here to this uh, clip. I'm only going to do the uh, audio, so don't worry about switching to the video. But I, I listened to this uh, brief clip. Matt Estes uh, posted it, so thank you, Matt, for putting that up there. I downloaded the whole thing, but I was there was no way I was going to have time to 
fast forward to it. I didn't get it queued up before him. But um, again, I, I can't even start to explain who Paul Vendretti is. Uh, I followed the links. I did do the Google, and it was like there was something where he was going after Hank Hanegraaff. Okay, whatever. Um, but this was an, an amazing um, snippet. So let's uh, let's take a listen, listen to it. Hope it works here. And uh, here we go. If you believe in PSA, the fine details of the hypostatic union matter not at all. All that matters is that Jesus have a physical body with blood in it so that God the Father in his wrath can spill the blood. Now, this is a provocative thing I'm about to say, but in penal substitutionary atonement, Jesus of Nazareth is really nothing more than a bag of blood that's stapled to the second person of the Trinity. <clears throat> that, the <clears throat> is the deep discussion from Warren McGrew in response to that. I would think now I have, that's only twenty eight seconds. So, I, I would, I would think that almost any orthodox um, attender of church, let alone theologian, would hear that statement. Now, maybe there was just a whole bunch that came before this. I can't imagine what it would be. But that's just some of the most inane, absurd, um, filled with animus uh, blather I, I think I've, I've ever heard. A, a bag of blood stapled to the second person of the Trinity. Uh, that's what penal substitutionary atonement means. Well, that is just... When you use that kind of argumentation, and maybe that's what happened to Warren. He was just so stunned that he couldn't enunciate any meaningful conversation. But it is interesting. Maybe, and this is possible, Mr. Vendretti, um, Venedretti, sorry. It's a very small print over there. Um, Maybe the problem here is that he's only responding to some of the, uh, what shall we call them? Uh, well, they're, they're, let's just, there have been, remember, most of you don't remember, back in the 80s, there was a intra-fundamentalist controversy where John MacArthur got into a bunch of trouble. Got into a bunch of trouble. And for years, well, even to today, I saw somebody going, I still see people going after MacArthur to today in fundamentalist circles about this, saying that MacArthur denied the blood. What John said was that it that the, the blood of Jesus is not some magical thing, you know, that's sitting in a vial someplace and God takes a little dropout to, for each person to get saved or some strangeness like that the giving the shedding of blood was the giving of life it was substitution of a perfect life and hence all of the importance of Christ being 
Theanthropos, the God-man, of being truly man, of truly suffering, of not being a Gnostic, you know, the Christ spirit leaves as the body dies on the tree, dualism and all the other stuff that people have come up with. It is vitally important that Christ is truly the God-man. Why? Because the people of God are united to Christ in the sovereign election of the Father. So that his death becomes their death. It's not, it's not magic blood time. It's the giving of the perfect life in behalf of those who are united to him. And so, it's still penal. God's law is being fulfilled, and it is necessary that it be fulfilled. And when you don't have that as a part of your theology, you end up with what you've got in Islam, where Allah can just simply, you know, um, that sin's gone. No atonement's been made. The law remains broken. Sin's gone. And if you want to see how that plays out, uh, in debate in a mosque in front of the Qibla in a majority Muslim audience, then go watch the debate I did with Shabir Ali at the Abu Bakr Siddiq Mosque in, wow, it's coming up on a decade ago. That just hit me. It's 2013. That's 2013. I want to cry. I, 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 Wow. That was um, that was an amazing night. Um, I have a picture from no, no, that was uh, in Erasmia, suburb of um, Pretoria. I remember uh, uh, my my dear friend and I afterwards. Uh, we started. I think that's the night we started the tradition of going to McDonald's after debates there in South Africa. Uh, because by the way. McDonald's tastes the same wherever you go in the world, except for Italy. Except for Italy. You buy a quarter pound of cheese in Kiev. Well, maybe before, after the war, I don't know. But when I was in Kiev, uh, you buy a quarter pound of cheese. It tastes exactly the same. But not Italy. And in South Africa, it does too. And that night, we just sat there talking about what an amazing thing it was to be able to stand there that close to these individuals and talk about my need of an alien righteousness, a righteousness outside of myself. And where, where does that come from? Uh, it, it comes from that penal substitutionary atonement. And without that, you end up with the Muslim view. And I'm not going to take time to narrate the Hadith on that right now, about the 99, man who killed 99 people. We've done that many times in the past. But maybe it's just, you know, when you hear someone, you know, he said, I'm going to be provocative. No, it was, it was just, that was just being dumb. Uh, that was just, that was just, uh, I'm going to ignore the very substance of the vast majority of everything that has been written on this subject from a believing perspective since the time of the Reformation and create, I'm just going to, I'm going to soak this baby in kerosene and light it up and 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 let you see her burn that's that's what that just was um and the response from Warren McGrew was 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating that Craig would deny these things, but it's not it's not at all shocking knowing his his presuppositional commitments there. Uh, but if you study if you study what the early church had taught about these things, um, I mean, Gregory said that which Christ did not assume, he did not heal. And so, if, if we're to take these words from an early faithful member of the of the body of Christ to have any merit, um, if if all he is, is is flesh and blood, then he didn't heal our soul, he didn't heal our mind, he didn't heal these other attributes. And so, in PSA, it really seems to me that the incarnation is is has it has almost hardly any meaning or merit to it, other than just to to make a um a, a bloody pinata. Uh, it, How, how do you how do you respond to something that absurd? Um, union with Christ, the fact that Christ needs to be the God man that makes a bloody pinata, the 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 fact that the, the son, what what pinata has ever voluntarily given himself in obedience to the Father? You, you're just you're just left going. Why do these people waste their time and ours? It's stunning. It's 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 something that can be beaten and spilled, and that's all it is. There is no there's no human uh, healing. There's no, there's there's no actual redemptive merit there anywhere to the degree that you would have with the restored icon model. The restored icon model. Oh, oh. the restored icon model. Well, uh, icon image definitely used. Maybe this is in reference to something related to. Restoring the Imago Dei? Well, there is, that's part of Reformed soteriology, but it's also a part of Reformed soteriology that that Imago Dei was greatly marred by sin. And with federal headship, was marred in the fall of Adam. And we know these are things that um, don't fit well with those who struggle with Original sin, federal headship, whatever else it might be, I don't know. Um, um, and it seems it seems to be really troubling that we would say that that Christ assumed these things, and it seems to me in Scripture at least, but then have to deny those in order to get to an atonement theory that comports with our presuppositions. It it seems rather ham. Uh, what do they call that? Ham handed. Ham handed. Thank you. Yeah. Ham handed. Well, if you want ham handed. Uh, what is ham-handed is to refer to Jesus as a bloody pinata or a bag of blood stapled to the second person of the Trinity. There's that is ham-handed. That's I I vote to have that made the new definition in the dictionary of ham-handed. Um, wow, there's just so much stuff out there these days uh, on these issues. Um, it, it's wow. Um, Anyway, I did want to get to one other thing, and I'm noticing that my time's going by. Um, let me just make a quick, a quick statement. Um, we had a tweet today that um, a number of people have noticed. And I, I just want to recognize it in passing and and point out how this process has been going on for a number of months now. Um, quote, inseparable operations is necessary from the doctrine of simplicity 
Denying inseparable operations implies a denial of simplicity. A denial of simplicity implies atheism. Um, this is the kind of um, thinking um, that worked well during the Inquisition and is what allowed the Inquisitors um, to, to view themselves as the very uh, instruments of God as they whipped, flayed, um, racked, and tormented the heretics. The, the term implies is a very, very dangerous term. Um, you can make the argument that the adoption of Aristotelian metaphysical categories in your study of Scripture and the doctrine of God um, implies a movement toward the Aristotelian God, who is, if there even was a single God, is anything but the Yahweh of Scripture. And so you can do that, you can make that kind of an argument and say, see, that's why I'm going to have nothing to do with such and such a person. And I've seen a couple people today, um, things have been sent to me, some public, some private. Uh, we just need to cancel James White. We just need to stop responding to James White. We just need to, um, you know, just put him out. Put him out. We're done with him. He won't, uh, he won't submit to our magisterium. Um, one person did say, we have the exegetical arguments, let's just make them, and the rest of us are like, please, finally, that's ex- please, we've been waiting, we haven't seen it yet, but please, try. Uh, and I was going to try to get to, and I, and I will, uh, got to queued up, try to get to um, the uh, continuing response to the Baptist dogmatics stuff, because at least there we can get into a claim. Here's the exegesis. Okay, good. Let's see what it looks like. But a denial of simplicity implies atheism. You need to understand. They they get to determine what simplicity is, and anything less than their understanding and their metaphysical construction is a denial of simplicity. And that way, that way you don't have to worry about um, you know, allowing people to have differences of perspective. No, you, you just... Now remember, this is not a doctrine that until two years ago, if you had stopped 99% of evangelical pastors outside the door on a Sunday morning, they would have gone, what? Inseparable who? Simple what? what? Uh, but it's now... The be-all and end-all of all things. And men who never preached a sermon on this, they never taught a Bible study on this, they they didn't teach it in systematic theology, they didn't, no idea, are now comfortable canceling others and saying, no, you you can't can't trust that guy anymore. Uh, All on the basis of a doctrine that they know in their heart and soul was never a part of their understanding of Christian theology. Until very, very recently. Very, very. Well, we understood it implicitly, you see. (laughs) Okay. 
You anybody who claims they they know anything Aristotelian <laughs> implicitly, <laughs> the best you can do is laugh. Um, but uh, so yeah, here when the history of this particular situation is written, I hope people will remember and recognize um, who insisted on the division and the cancellation and the separation. Um, and it's pretty clear. It's pretty obvious. A denial of simplicity implies atheism. Um, I guess they would say, well, we were just ignorant of it before. We didn't deny it. We just had no idea. It's so central to the doctrine of God. You didn't know it. So you weren't worshiping God all these years, were you? Just just be honest. Just, just be consistent. Anyway. Uh, yeah, there you go. That was uh, that was fascinating. Um, one other thing along those lines, I, I want to. Uh, there is a concerted effort in certain parts because this program has been on for so many years and has as wide an audience as it does. There is a, a concerted effort in certain areas to cancel us, to uh, tell students, uh, pastors, teachers, whatever, um, that we are no longer reliable. And unfortunately, what I'm seeing is there's a lot of lying going on in the process. A lot of misrepresentation, a lot of straw men. Um, and, you know, I just a reminder, if, if you don't speak the truth, God's not going to bless it, and you you will be held accountable for the words of your mouth and the movements of your fingers uh, as well. And there are those who are saying, uh, for example, that there are, are people um, who've reached out. So, so for example, well, why didn't you why don't you go to California and do this this side or the other thing? Um, I won't name a name, but there was someone at a seminary that did reach out to me a couple weeks ago. It was right as I was going to get our new tow vehicle, um, which uh, I used for the first time today. I, I pulled the fifth wheel today. Two miles ain't very far. Um, we've still got some adjustments to make to make things work well, but um, excited uh, at the progress. Um, and excited at how much work Rich has to do before I leave next. <laughs> right? Yep. Hey, you're the you're the you're Tim the Toolman Pierce. So uh, you do you want do you want me working on that hitch? No, you no. The look on his face just now. No, no. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, uh, I've had to do some of that stuff uh, on my own uh, out there on the road and so far it hasn't fallen off a cliff so don't you know but anyways we got some work to do on that um, but it was right as I was uh, picking up the truck and I had a long drive back and so uh, I said to this individual um, I've got hours in the truck be glad, be glad to talk I had a conversation with somebody else same area, but he's on my side, generally, I guess he would say. Um, and we had a great conversation. So uh, it, it worked out really well. And and so I was more than happy to do it. 
And this individual would represent the other side of this conversation. Okay. I said, let's do it. And then he got back to me. Oh, I forgot. There's this big thing going on. And I'm just going to be really, really busy. And could we do it later on? And I wrote back, said, sure, let me know when. And I've never heard back since. That was a month ago. So I was the last one to go, sure. I, you're busy. I am too. But like I said, it's a busyness that allows me to talk. Never got anything more. Today I hear from that general area uh, about someone who's reached out to me and I refuse to talk to them. It's just a lie. It's not true. It's just not true. Um, Tony Arsenal wanted to do some type of a, I don't know, mini debate type thing. And I'm like, well, I'm not interested in a mini debate type thing, but I'm more than happy to answer whatever accusations you're making about uh, the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit and something. I even wrote a little article. Um, and there's been no further conversation there. And I haven't been pursuing it because uh, my initial thought was there was an accusation being made that I had spoken an untruth and nothing came of that. Um, so don't believe everything you're told. Um, sadly, there, there are some who are, uh, sometimes institutional survival causes even true followers of Christ to say and do things that, it's, honestly, it's one of the reasons I, I'm thankful that we have a small ministry. We, we've had a really outsized impact for how small we are, but I don't have to worry about the mortgage payments on millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of property. And I recognize that people who do can sometimes do things that in the eternal scheme of things, because that million dollar property ain't going to mean anything eternally. In the eternal scheme of things just are embarrassing. Um, and so when you, when people start repeating rumors, it turns into slander and it ends up being uh, falsehoods. Just be careful what you're saying to others and, um, that will be very, very good for you. Was there something you were adjusting the camera? So yes, um, we haven't seen this for a while. So I, didn't, I thought I didn't, I'd I didn't know if that you throw know, that was, up there. You just, we're going to use that as a mirror to comb your receding hairline, or just what? At least I have one to comb. Uh, well, anyway, so um, I would too. I just, I just know when to give up on it. <laughs> well, it's not ready for me. Not by a long shot. Anyway, uh, you know, it seems to me I answer the phones here. I'm the only one that answers the phones. I That's make true. sure that wherever I go, this phone is tied to the master number. There is an 800 number where you don't have to pay for the call. The uh, Last week I saw on a YouTube um, video that was going after us on this subject. And I saw in the comments talking about how hard it is to get a hold of us. How hard it is. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, I don't put our email address up there. And the reason I don't put the email address up there is because what I get is entire books 
written out where somebody sat there for hours and hours at their keyboard writing a book, and that's what they throw at me. Well, they send, they print those out and send them to the P.O. box, too. Yeah, too. <laughs> and they they seem to think that that's a, an effective method of communication. I got back to the old-fashioned way of, you know what? I've made it easy for you to make a call. You pick up the phone, and we can talk. You have a question, you have a comment, you want to talk about something, I answer the phones. And people call me. I talk to them all the time. I've, I've received, I well, had to go to voicemail. And, and you've, hang, you've hung up on a few people, too. But. That hasn't been known to happen, but it, it has to get pretty extreme to get that way. But, um, you know, it's like during the show here. It's voicemail, but I've received two, three different calls during the show. But at least there's a voicemail there. Did they want to know where to get coogees that are nice as mine? Absolutely not. The um, the point I'm trying to make here is is that when somebody tells you that we're hard to get a hold of, we're not hard to get a hold of. Not at all. But if you don't actually want to talk to us, but you want to write a book in email, it's hard to do. And that's what I find the vast majority of these people, they want a one-sided conversation, they want to dump, regurgitate all their thoughts out, and be done. And you call, you're going to get a two-way conversation. And I, But again, on this subject, this phone has zero, never, not once rang on this subject. No. Not yet. That's so, because we're answering all the questions. Well, maybe maybe that is the case. I don't know, but... <laughs> Probably not. Probably, Probably not. Yeah, no, uh, I, I just want folks to, to understand that um, I am being sent things, I'm seeing things um, that just clearly uh, indicate to me that there is a coordinated effort to um, try to get people to stop listening and thinking about the issues that we're raising and, um, you know, it, that's not how Christians do things, but Christians do that. It, it happens. It when It's not the first time, but it's certainly amazing this time. Okay, one other thing I wanted to get to. Again, I'll just do um, uh, audio. Is there was a um, woman... Dr. Dauschen, co-director of the Gender Clinic at Children's Philadelphia, who is being interviewed by someone. I don't know if the person interviewing them was um, positive or negative toward them. I couldn't tell. Um, but I'm going to have to queue up where this starts So uh, because it says watch again. So uh, give me just a second here. Oh, good. I want to make sure I understand the full range here. So puberty blocking drugs uh, followed by the cross-sex hormones, it's my understanding they can prevent the full development of the penis and the breast and can even result in loss of fertility. The questions about fertility, these are important ones um, that we discuss with um, patients and families early on and often. Um, so we, we have, certainly have discussions prior to starting puberty blockers and prior to starting uh, gender-affirming hormones, testosterone or estrogen. And, you know, what's interesting is... Now, I, let, me, let me just stop for a moment. Gender-affirming hormones. I, I, I've got to admit, with the, with the midterms coming up, 
in less than a week. Um, I I am so deeply troubled by listening to Americans speak and recognizing the fact that a large portion of our society, a very, very large portion of our society, has absolutely no concern about using language in a meaningful fashion and being able to recognize when language is being abused. Gender-affirming hormones, those just simply are the male and female hormones. Um, They're not affirming something. uh, A a weak-minded people are easily controlled by someone who can use the language deceptively. Reproductive therapy, reproductive rights, reproductive health care. No, it's a murder of unborn children, but we're going to call it reproductive health care. Any, God has given us the ability to see through these things. You have to numb that ability through years of public education, television, films, media, to destroy the natural ability we have to be able to see these things and to recognize these things. I was watching, um, I was watching some political ads. How can you not? <laughs> I mean, right now, everything on any of the stations. Uh, any of the channels you'd be watching. It's just political ad after political ad. And the attack ads from both sides, but especially the left. This is this is the essence of leftism. It, it has been since the Bolshevik Re- Revolution. You might even go back uh, to the French Revolution uh, once you had some form of secularism where there's just no concern for truth and a willingness to abuse language. But I'm I'm watching these attack ads, and they they are absolutely not intended for a thinking human being. They are intended for emotional beings who can only emote. They can't think. They can't analyze sentence structure, argument. But they're dumb enough to be moved by pure emotion. That's 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 what it's all about. Uh, that is a sign that we are a long ways from health in our society. When when the general attack as today would have been laughed off the air in the 1980s for their utter lack of meaningful content, that's, that's yeah. And just listen to the language of this woman. It is astonishing. Is that the field of assisted reproductive technology um, is rapidly evolving. and our- Assisted reproductive technology. In other words, we'll rip the ovaries out of the woman and cut off her breasts. We will castrate the boy. But hey, 20 years from now, we might have a way of using a Petri dish to give you a kid. That that's that's the evil. This is this is not stupidity. This is not idiocy. It's evil.
I'm watching right now my daughter clearly having an absolute blast raising her firstborn male son, okay? So she she has a son with her husband from previous situation, but this is the first baby boy she has given birth to. And she's obviously having a blast for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is all the rest of the kids just love him and are so helpful with him and seeing them bonding and seeing him starting to giggle and laugh at them and stuff like that is just, that's the joy of, of parenthood and, and family. And she's nursing this child and some of those beautiful, special things I remember when our kids were born was when my wife is nursing that child and, um, you know, there's that bond that exists between mother and child. And I, and I think about 14-year-old girls who, because of TikTok videos, are having their breasts cut off. And then you hear them as 18-year-olds and 20-year-olds going, why did anyone let me do something so stupid as that? And you go, because they wanted to destroy you. They wanted to make it so you could never have these experiences. That was their purpose. That's their intention. That's what this woman is all about. Though she probably has kids herself. The hypocrisy of it is astonishing. Um, but there is, you know, that's why I will not look at these men wearing wigs and shooting up with estrogen. I will not call them women. They're not women. That is an insult to my wife, to my daughter. It's an insult to all of them to take that honorable title of mother, wife, woman, and apply it to a pretender that is none of those things. I won't do it. Anyway, language. Language represents what we how we see the world. You change language and you change the world. Our understanding of the impacts of these medications on biological fertility are also evolving. Um, you know, I also want to take a step back for a second to say that, um, you know, transgender um, youth in their families, just like everyone else, may, um, you know, are aware of the fact that there are other ways to build families. Beyond- Catch that? There are other ways to build family. You see, they, the, the focus has been to destroy the entire concept of family. And who defined that family for us? Jesus did in Matthew 19. A man shall leave his father and mother, cling to his wife, two shall become one flesh. That's what God blesses. Because that's what God created. And we know from Scripture it was Jesus that ordained those things. Right? And so... If you hate God and hate God's ways and hate God's law, these people are so committed to their rebellion and hatred that they have spent decades, decades preparing the way. 
laying the foundation. You can't get this level of evil and insanity just overnight. You had to start the corruption of the universities and the educational system a long time ago to get someone to sit in front of a camera and twist and destroy the language the way we have today. Uh, Who was the ditzy starlet? She's been in a lot of movies. Anne Hathaway. What was she on? The the View or something Uh, again? Where she said abortion is another word for mercy? If you didn't see the um, little filmette from Lure called The Procedure, did you see that? Oh, it's very—it's only four minutes. See, the, the brilliance of that featurette, and I, I retweeted it and said we need to take this viral. The brilliance is it, it works really well. And you might say, it's, it's all emotional. It's based upon facts. It's a, it's a testimony of a ultrasound technician who watched the second trimester destruction of a baby girl and watched the baby as its arms and legs are torn off, t- pulling into a, trying to get away and pulling into a ball. And it's just, it, it'll make you lose your lunch and make you cry. But it's super effective because it's it's done really well and it's it's short enough to keep people's attention. Remember, this is this is the same world where when I went on the CNN Dr. Drew show years ago, the producer told us in the green room, uh, if one person talks for more than fifteen seconds, the audience tunes out. Okay, so you got to do things quick. <laughs> um, it 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 it. it it illustrates the depth of the evil and that you can have starlets sitting there calling that mercy. That is a twistedness that is very, very difficult to even begin to imagine. And if that doesn't show the absolute withdrawal of the hand of restraint, I, I, I don't know what does. I don't know what does. There's judgment on a level that's Truly amazing. Truly amazing. Well, anyway, there you go. Um, I wanted to touch on that and uh, go from there. Um, We will, I assume, probably have to do two early programs next week. Probably, I'm not sure what your schedule is, but like Monday, Wednesday, because uh, we have a church function Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, Kelly and I are going to take um, uh, two of our grandkids up with us to the uh, to the leadership get together retreat type thing, wherever it is. Um, that that should be a lot of fun. It's fun when your grandkids start getting old enough that you can do stuff like that with them and have fun with them and uh, and uh, things like that. So we'll we'll have to go fairly early, uh, which means a bunch of Nasty stuff will get dropped on Thursday of next week. <laughs> if we have the internet, I could always do something from up there. Um, we'll see. Uh, but um, 
uh, we will press on from there. Thanks for listening to the program today. Hopefully it was challenging, edifying, something along those lines. We will see you next time. God bless.